0: to finish or not going to finish we're going to continue our series on a whole church approach having been here for 10 months as your interim pastor I've observed a few things about your church and one of the things I became I guess I was always aware of this and I, I wouldn't say it's being critical that you guys don't do this already but seeing and observing how West Park operates and then interviewing pastoral candidates with the search committee and hearing uh, from preachers kind of their aspirations and what they would like to see happen in the church it led me to leave you with a reminder that the whole church is responsible for ministry it's not something that we hire professionals to do it's not something that one guy is the general or dictator of it's not something that can simply be done by committee or by paperwork but a whole church approach to leadership. And we saw that in our first lesson in this series when we talked about learning leadership. Leadership needs to be taught. And then there were levels of leadership. Everybody has to start somewhere. We need to be cultivating leaders and bringing them up in the church. And we talked about there being limits to leadership. In other words, one guy shouldn't be in charge of every single thing. You can give people a task, you can give them a realm, you can say you're gifted in this area or you're gifted in that area. And then we talked about uh, enlarging leadership or larger leadership as people grow that we should encourage them to take on more, to do more. And then last Wednesday night we looked at a whole church approach to learning and we saw last week that the pastor has a responsibility to teach the word of God. And he is ultimately responsible for the doctrine of the church. But we also saw that parents have a responsibility in a whole church approach to learning. So mom and dad have a response to raise their children, even grandparents to influence their grandchildren. Then we talked about the pulpit. God has gifted men who may not be the pastor, who may be in a position to come and teach on a specific subject or doctrine or maybe an area that the church is, is not as well versed in. And so we have evangelists and missionaries that can come and educate and encourage us. And then we talked about the party approach to learning where we can divide up into small groups. And we said we could break those groups up by their grade, their age. We could break them up by their gender. We could break them up by group. We could meet at a certain time. We could meet at the coffee shop on Tuesday mornings. Or we could meet in someone's home on Friday nights or whatever it was. But then lastly, under a whole church approach to leadership, it's not every man for himself. It's not just freedom just to say, hey, we're going to go learn over here. All of the leadership and all of the learning is not under the pastor so much as the pastor and the word of God are the parameters, the boundaries. We have a doctrinal statement for a reason. If someone starts teaching something crazy and chaos, we can say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. As a church, we've adopted this as what we believe about Scripture. And so those parameters allow for people to learn to teach. And use the gifts that God has given them. Tonight we're going to look at a whole church approach to labor. To labor. You know, I uh I looked up some statistics on church attendance. And I, I did it on church attendance and on active church membership. I looked at a number and I was going to print them all off, but I'll just be honest with you, it's too depressing. It's too depressing. Somebody said that uh, 90% of the church does 10% of the work, and 10% of the church does 90% of the work, and that's probably true. When I look at these statistics, what I see is that most of the church is made up of inactive members, inactive members. Look around the room tonight. Is this the sum total of the membership of West Park? You said, well, Brother here we got kids in the other room. We got youth in the other building. We got some teachers over there. Okay, add those in. Is this the sum total? Last time I looked, I think there were 203 members at West Park. Currently, 203. That's down from like 280-something when we kind of compiled everything. And I mean, I can't thank Don enough for doing the legwork of trying to figure out who was a member and who wasn't. And what was interesting is we discovered that we had people here that were members that weren't listed and people that were listed that were no longer members. But I'm just talking about the people that are here. Let's talk about the people that actually do the work within the church, the heavy lifting, if you will. Statistics show that most members are inactive or only marginally active. In other words, the, they didn't ask them what they did in church. They just said, do you regularly attend? Here's what they found out. Of people who identified as, let's say, Southern Baptist. I can remember that statistic. Of Southern Baptist, only 44% were active in church membership. And by active, they meant attends once a week. That was highly active seldom attends was almost it was it was inactive and then in the middle there was marginally active they attended periodically here's what i've discovered of the people that attend regularly or highly involved members not many of them are actively involved or doing things outside of just attending the service some of that for physical health reasons whatever the case may be but that doesn't explain why there are 203 people that claim to be a member here, and we're looking for volunteers for the Harvest Festival uh, in, in, at Halloween. So I want to take a whole church approach to this. Now, I grew up in a church early on before my parents changed and moved to a different church where the pastor's approach was to get up and just browbeat everybody if he needed something done. He'd get up and tell everybody how sorry they was and how bad they was and if they didn't start doing what they supposed to. And, man, everybody'd get busy and do a little work for a while and then the the mean sermons would end and we'd all go back to being lazy again. That, that's not leading the church. And that's not a whole church approach to labor. So I have thought about this I've had a lot of time on the road last week, so I've had time to think through this in my mind. Why is it that most people are not actively serving or laboring or doing work in the church? And by work, you could say volunteering, serving on committees, teaching Sunday school, serving as a deacon or in some other capacity, volunteering for the nursery, or involved in the maintenance of the building. Why is it that only a handful of people do those sorts of things and everyone else receives? And I have four reasons why this occurs. Number one, people have never been trusted to do it. They've never been trusted. They've, they've just never been asked. They would do something, but we never felt led to say, hey, would you come do this? I discovered this when we started appointing committees I would ask people of all the people we asked only two people said no I don't want to serve on a committee everybody else was like yeah I'd love to I'd love to be involved I'd love to help I'd love what else can I do what I discovered was the number one reason is most people have never been asked to do it before number two people have never been taught They don't know it's their responsibility to do these things. I've had people tell me this. That's what we pay you for. You're the pastor. You're the only paid staff guy. If we have a problem, we call you. If the toilet stopped, we call the pastor up. Hey, pastor, the toilet stopped up. Here's my favorite. When a woman comes up to the pastor and says, we're out of toilet paper in the women's bathroom, I say, okay, okay. She goes, I don't know why you didn't put toilet paper in there. I said, I'll give you one good reason. I never go in the women's bathroom. I go in the men's bathroom. That's the one I use. When it runs out, I know it. But I'm not in there snooping around your bathroom checking paper levels. Some people just don't realize that that could be their ministry, that they could be the one that goes around and checks these levels and does it, and, and it just goes unseen. So sometimes they're never trusted, they're never taught. Number three, they're never treasured. In other words, they were doing it, and nobody appreciated them. They were doing it, and when they started doing one thing, the church just piled everything on the three people that worked, and they said, you know what, I'm getting tired of doing everything. I'm burned out. Nobody appreciates what I'm doing. I'm not appreciated. I'm not treasured. This is just something, some thankless job that's been dumped on me, and I'm sick of it. And so then when you go to that person who's burned out and underappreciated and you say, hey, can you? No, I can't. I got enough stuff already. Then number four, this is the catch-all. They've never been asked to do it. (laughs) They've never been trusted. They've never been instructed of what a role of a church member is. They've never been taught. They've never been appreciated. But there is a group of people who know better, who've been taught, There is a group of people that that have been asked to do things and they said no. There's a group of people that in the past used to do a lot and they said I'm done and they just never tried. They know what needs to be done. They know that they're capable of it. They just don't want to do it. Well, I have four answers to those four reasons. They've never tried, were never treasured, were never taught, or never trusted. Number one, a whole church approach to laboring, the church laborers or workers or servants must be cultivated. Cultivated. In other words, we should be working with or providing people opportunities to serve. The code talk and the slang talk for that is this. We need to get them plugged in. We need to give them something to do. And for biblical reference of this, I'll take you to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. To cultivate leadership is to start off by saying, or or laboring, or, or working, serving. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If someone comes to us and tells us that they've been born again and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've repented of their sins, they want to be baptized, we should say your reasonable service is to present your body as an object of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. God expects everyone to serve. Now, if God expects everyone to serve, shouldn't we encourage their service? If God gives everyone a job, shouldn't we try to find something that suits them where they are? We were talking just before church. Britt was holding his granddaughter out there. And he said, I'm going to get her out in the garden next year with me. And I thought, she'll be 18 months old. She ain't going to be no help to you. 18 months old ain't no help at all but he said when my grandma and grandpa was digging taters they'd give me a spoon and boy i'd just get out there and roll and boy i thought i was a backhoe you know what he's doing don't you he's not teaching her the finer points of potato production he's cultivating and giving her a job on her level you may not be ready to go to the kitchen and cook a gourmet meal but maybe it's shake and bake and you can shake the bag if everybody here has a job, even the, new, even the new Christian has a place in which they can help. Here's the problem. Get out of the kitchen. We'll use this analogy. Too many uh, chefs spoil the soup. But we need to recognize that new Christians need to be cultivated because it's the reasonable service. Let's stay there in Romans chapter 12 and look down at verses 6 and 8. Or six through eight, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. What Paul is doing here is he's, he's taken, in verse 5, I didn't read it. He said, you're all members of one body. You're members one of another. He's taken body parts and saying, each of you have a responsibility. Now, the hands, the hands ain't feet. And if you don't have any hands, you'll learn to use your feet. But eyes are not ears and if you can't hear very well you'll 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 keep your head on a swivel and you'll be looking more but whatever it is you will utilize what you currently have so ministry should be done according to each member's ability he says if the guy's called to prophesy let him prophesy according to his faith as he's been gifted to do so Or if it's ministry, let him minister as he has opportunity. This is one of the things I find interesting. Someone says, I've been called to preach, so when can I come preach? If you've been called to preach, you go preach in the capacity you have. Just because God called you to do something doesn't mean those of us that are already in that position have to step down and let a new person come along and start teaching or preaching. Go preach in the 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 opportunities that you have. These opportunities, if we know someone's gifted, it, it may not happen instantaneously, but eventually we should be finding opportunities for these people to exercise their gifts. I like what Paul said back in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He said, I have showed that all things... How that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we're going to cultivate a atmosphere of work, we've got to demonstrate the work. The boss has to be willing to do what he's asking other people to do. He has to demonstrate it. He has to model it. That's exactly what Paul said in the text. He said, I showed you how that in laboring you ought to support the weak. Paul picked up a job and worked so that he'd have money to help people that couldn't work. If Paul, the apostle, is willing to do trivial daily work making tents, sewing leather together, if Paul's willing to do that, who else in the church wouldn't be willing to do whatever? It's not that the pastor's above putting toilet paper in the women's bathroom because I've stocked a lot of it over the years. It's not that I'm above unstopping toilets. I've put new ones in from time to time. I don't say that publicly often because I don't want people to think I'm a plumber. But the point is, I tell young preachers, don't go pastor there until you're willing to be their janitor. Because when you go there, you have to be willing to demonstrate what needs to be done in the church and your willingness to do it. That's how you cultivate work. It needs to be demonstrated by those of us that are already doing it, and we need to be open to letting new people come in and carry it on. So the key to those that have never been trusted, is for those of us that are currently doing it, to let them go dig in the garden with a spoon like Britt's granddaughter will do next summer give them something simple like shaking the chicken when we cook but that gives them something to do we ought to seek that out as a church that's not the pastor's job to go around placing people in service it's those that are in the service to say hey look why don't you come over here and help why don't you help me do this why don't you meet me here and we'll fix these things that's a whole church approach number two our excuse was they were never taught So my answer is they must be catechized. They must be taught. If you've never been taught, we can fix that. Someone said, I don't know what to do. I said, I have the solution to that. I know what to do. If someone simply doesn't know, then someone, all they have to do is tell them. No one told us what to do. How many times have we heard that on the job? Why are y'all sitting around? Nobody told us what to do. You'd be surprised how many churches, people are sitting around not doing anything, and it's because no one's ever told them what to do. Well, Brother Harold, what does that look like? I'll take you to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this under leadership. We'll look at it under laboring. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 says. No, 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 no. Ephesians chapter 4, not 10 and 11, 11 and 12. So grab verse 12, and I'll start in verse 11. It's my fault I gave Pam the wrong Bible verses. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the pastor's job and, the, and the, the teacher's job and the evangelist's job is for the perfecting of the saints for the—look at that four-letter word nobody likes to hear—work, for the work of the ministry. The pastor's job is to teach people to do the work, to, to labor. So, pastors and evangelists should be equipping people for the ministry. And here, ministry means just that it means service, the work of service. When we are in the church working, we should be serving others. It's service to others is what we're talking about. When we say work, we don't always just mean, hey, we need sheetrock. You know, it's it's not hey, we need somebody to get up in the attic and put down some new insulation. When we think of work work, you know, that's what we think. Of. We need somebody to pull weeds in the flower bed. While all these things really may need to be done from time to time, work in the church is merely doing something that is of service to other believers. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 8 through 11, he talks about teaching others to work and he says in first peter chapter 4 verse 8 and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover a multitude of sins the word charity there is synonymous with love it is the greek word for love so what's he talking about he's saying we ought to love one another well how do we show that we love one another well brother harold we sat next to him three times a week that doesn't show you love them oh brother harold we, we listen to three of your boring sermons three times a week that just shows you love me you're supposed to show you love them i appreciate you enduring and maybe you'll get a gold medal or something when you get to heaven for that i don't think there's any crowns for it but maybe you'll get a ring or something i don't know the point is this You aren't loving others unless you're serving others. Jesus Christ said the greatest among you is your servant. The lowest is the leader. So when we talk about catechizing people, we're talking about systematically teaching them. When I came here, I did a series right off the bat on the one another's love one another serve one another minister to one another pray for one another greet one another with a holy kiss yeah that's in there but we shake hands today don't worry you can't do the one another's if you're not actively engaged in ministering to them forbearing one another so peter here says the same thing he says let this charity go back and forth and be among you verse 9 use hospitality one to another, without grudging. Hospitality here means to be welcoming, inviting, to treat them like family. Verse ten: As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse eleven: Did I? Ha- yeah, I have that down. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, and if any man minister, let him do. It is the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go back and look at verse 10 with me one more time. He says, Is every man hath received the gift? So everybody has a gift. We're not going to take a test and figure out what your gift is, we'll let you pray about it and determine that yourself. But you all have a gift, and with that gift you ought to minister, and that ministry is not to God, it's to one another. Even though it's done to God, it's carried out toward other people. And then Peter uses this phrase, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold means many portals so what god's gifted jim to do is not what god's gifted me to do or Rand to do or anybody else we all have individual gifts where we excel at one thing and maybe aren't as good at another if you need sympathy and you want someone to hold your hand and put a band-aid on you go see my wife don't come to me i'm gonna say rub a little dirt on it and dry it up that ain't that bad i've had worse than that in my eye get back out there and get to work my my gifting is not compassion But there are people that have that gifting, and they're good at it. And that's who I want to talk to when I'm hurt. I don't want to go talk to a version of me. I want somebody to treat me like mom. We need to teach people that they have these gifts for the service of others. And that God has called each of us to minister according to this grace that we've been given. And according, as he said in verse 11, as the ability which God giveth. So not everybody's going to be on the same level with each of their gifts. Some will be further along. Some will be slower to come around. But the point is, there needs to be a regular teaching of the responsibility of Christians to live out their faith and service to others. If that's coming from the pulpit, if that's coming from Sunday school, if that's coming from people who visit the pulpit and preach here in our absence, if it's coming from that... And I think that happened Sunday. Did Don Cochran not preach on abortion and the need to, uh, to, to encourage uh, unexpected mothers and support them? That is a way of serving others, ministering, doing the work of the ministry. So this catechizing, this teaching, this systematic covering, when that is coupled with a cultivation of people who are already doing the work, including more people in the work, we're headed in the right direction but if we stop with just cultivating laborers and catechizing laborers here's what will happen they'll get tired of doing it all for nothing laborers that are never treasured quit so number three they need to be credited they need to get a pat on the back it's not going to hurt us to say thank you it's not going to hurt us to say we appreciate you I can't tell you how many times people will come up to me and say something like this. Now, I don't want to give you the big head. You're not. It's okay to say something nice to me. I'm not going to swell up where I can't fit back out the double doors on my way out of here. But we're so afraid that we're going to pat somebody on the back and they're going to quit working because they've got their affirmation. No, 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 no don't, don't start patting them on the back. They'll want to take a break sometimes we get to the point or somebody carries on the job for so long we just forget they do it nobody nobody and i've picked on Brett already and I, I don't know if he can hear me he's not in the room nobody here wonders who's going to mow the grass do they same guy's been mowing it all along now he's had people come down and help him and come down and help him and come down and help him but the point man on that is Brett. he's the one that does it Sometimes people can get into a routine and they're the only one doing it. Does anybody wonder who's leading singing Sunday? Nope, been the same guy so long. We were talking about this here a couple weeks ago. We couldn't figure out when Robert actually started. There was some debate over how long he'd been leading singing. You know what that tells me? Been doing it a long time. When someone does the same thing for a long time, it goes underappreciated. But Paul over and over and over in the scriptures thanked people. He said, I received your offering, and it was a sweet savor under my nose. He said, I received your support, and it encouraged me. How many times does Paul say he thanks God for the ministry of a church or something they've done? And we could spend a lot of time looking at the intros and the closing statements of Paul's letters and read something like we see in Philippians chapter 1 over and over and over. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of man, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The church at Philippi had been supporting Paul's work from the first time they met even until now. The church I preached in Sunday morning is a church that has been supporting me in this ministry ever since I entered this ministry. When I went there, I made a note at the top. Sometimes I get antsy. I want to just preach, and I'll forget to take up an offering. I'll forget to do prayer requests. Sometimes I'll get up, and I'll forget to say thank you for supporting me all this time. And so we ought to give credit where credits due. We ought to express thankfulness. And look, we can do it in a way that's not crediting them with doing it themselves. We know that we're thankful, just as Paul said here. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul is thanking God for their usefulness to him. We ought to do the same thing. We want to thank God for Robert Leadon singing. We want to thank God for Britt Moen Grass you know why if they quit it's down to you and me bud and i can't sing and i don't want to mow you boy they ought to get a bunch of pats on the back after this service but it shouldn't just be them two. look around it's things getting taken care of the ladies do a wonderful job cleaning here when we brought this pastoral candidate in, we were walking around. I was showing them the building. They came down. We walked all around. They said, man, this place is clean. I said, they do a really good job. Do a really good job. All that stuff gets handled. Now, obviously, I can't sit here and thank everybody tonight. But when we think of those things and we see them, we ought to give credit because that might be the encouragement that someone gets that says, you know what? It's not just the Lord that knows. Other people have noticed. Not that we do it for the applause of men, but it does help. Especially when someone unknowingly says something that hurts our feelings or feels underappreciated or chews us out for something that we didn't intend to do. It sure helps to be encouraged, as Paul did, the Philippians, and nearly every other church he wrote to. So, why do people not serve? They've never been trusted. No one's ever asked them. West Park, we need to ask people to serve. Why do people not serve? They've never been taught to. I think that's not the case. I know everyone here knows that this is needs to be done. These things are important, and I see and and an, an a desire to do that. Number three, they've never been treasured. I would say that's probably the case in every church. There are underappreciated people doing thankless jobs, and they are thinking that no one else is noticed so encourage them give them credit number four they've never tried this is on you i've talked about the church's responsibility to encourage you the church's responsibility to teach you and the church's responsibility to credit you when you do it but for crying out loud if you just don't want to do it you don't deserve any of that somebody has to just challenge you and say you know what you need to get up and do this. You need to get busy. You, 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 need to, you need to be active. You need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian. So I'm going to spend my last point challenging you if you've never tried to do anything in the church. By the way, don't try to do anything in the church till you join the church we're trying to get the members here to go to work if you don't want to be baptized and agree with our doctrinal statement and and be a part of us and and be accountable to us and under the leadership of a pastor we're trying to get those people busy first but if you're a member here and you just never attempted to do anything at church here's my challenge to you Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 if you hadn't been mad at me yet you might get mad here I like to start off when I deal with something that's particularly challenging or prone to make people mad. I like to use Jesus' words. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. So, here's the question I have for you. How many times are you guys late for work? it's your job how many days you show up 15 minutes late for work every day i'm not going to ask you how often you show up late for church how many times you call in at work i don't answer out loud i'm just giving you time to think how many times you call in at work and say i can't come in today would you work with the cold you stayed home from church for Man, these things are, like to me, I'm like, you know what? I don't feel good. I'm staying home. But if it was Monday, I'm going to work. I know me. Matthew here is recording this this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying you're going to serve one or the other. If if you've got this impeccable work attendance and you work with one arm hanging off and one eye put out, but you miss church because you got a head cold, I would say you're serving one and not serving the other. You don't have to come to my conclusion. That's where I'm at. All right, let's back up a little bit. I don't like those. Those. I, I'm, I'm retired, Cheryl can say. I'm retired now. She retired week before last. I'm happy for her. So the retired people are like, I would, preacher, I would. Okay, does anybody here have a hobby? I got a bunch of them. We can spend the remainder of my time talking about my hobbies. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to garden. I like to clear land. I like to cut firewood. Uh, I like to reload ammo. Uh, I like to make my own lures. I like to go metal detect. I got so many hobbies, I'm trying to think of the ones I ain't done lately. You, same way, got some hobbies, needlepoint, booking, scrapbooking, Whatever how much time in a week do you spend practicing your hobby how many golf balls you hit last week how much time do you spend organizing your tackle box putting line on your fishing pole how much time do you spend down to little league fields how much time do you spend reading the bible studying your sunday school lesson preparing for church Uh, folks I'm not, here's my point I'm not saying you're all wrong I'm saying this You've got time to do all of these things And you should do them I'm not saying it's an either or I'm just saying if you've got If you're faithful at work And and you, you get your crafts done You got a great garden You got all these things Those are important to you And they are getting done If service at church Well I just don't have time to do anything at church preacher You're lying to me You're lying to me. You've got time to do these things. The difference is you don't want to do them. True or false? I told you the last point here was a challenge. I talked about the Bible saying this is your reasonable service. Paul said it was reasonable. Don't think I'm unreasonable. And then I go read Jesus' words, and he says you can't choose both. If we serve the local church like we served our hobbies, and I'm going to tell you something. I got convicted about this. You know, one of my favorite hobbies, I like to watch UFC fighting. I know it's probably a sin in your book, but I like to watch two grown men get in a ring and try to knock each other out. I, it's just You can judge me about it all you want to. I loved UFC fighting. The UFC fights on Saturday night, the fights used to come on at 9 o'clock and they'd go off at midnight. And I didn't used to have any way of watching them at my home, so I would gather up a couple of buddies, and we would run to Greenwood or Fort Smith, and we would go to a restaurant. I didn't ever watch them in a bar. We'd go to a restaurant. We'd sit down, and we'd watch fights till midnight. And I don't know if you know this, but on Sunday mornings, I have a kind of a prestanding thing. I've got to preach a sermon. And so I would sit up till midnight and toss and turn and move. And man, when them fights was over, I felt like I'd fought for three hours. I'd watched them twist and turn, and I was so worked up. And I'd get in the car and we'd talk. Man, did you see that? Yeah. And we'd we'd get home and I'd crawl in bed at 1.30. and I would get up at five thirty every Sunday morning, and I would get up in four hours, and I'd be like, Oh man, I got to get a sermon together. God got a hold of me on that. He said, Harold, you'd stay up all hours of the night watching fights. And who suffers? Not just me. Those that I've been called to serve, that'd be all you. You know what I had to come to the conclusion of? My service to you, the church that I'm teaching, is where my real ambitions lie and i had to put the ufc fights aside and i haven't watched a ufc fight on a saturday night probably five six seven years and i'm telling you i watched like 70 or 80 of them straight every time they fought i don't know what your problem is maybe it's football maybe you watch football of an evening i don't know but here's what i do know whatever your hobby is if you got time to do that but you don't have time for what you're doing here your priorities are out of whack i'm not up here the high and holy telling you i'm the one that has it all figured out i'm the guy with the same problem and i'm compulsive I can trade the UFC fighting and I can get into reloading ammo and I can spend countless hours sitting at a bench weighing out powder and measuring bullets and putting stuff together and I can spend hours of a week doing that and not have time to do the requirements of a pastor or not have time to take care of the other things that I do that, that are not related to the office of pastor. I'll give you one more verse and we'll close this message. I'm talking about challenging you if you've never tried any service in a church. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. After describing that we're saved by grace and not works, Paul says this in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Man, I preached a whole sermon on that one time. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach it now. Don't worry. I'm just going to make a, a, an expository note here. Who saved us, the first part of verse 10? Who did the work in our salvation? I remember from Bible from, from Sunday school, he's still working on me took him just a week to make the sun and the stars something something jupiter and mars but he's still working on me we are his workmanship so it's god that saved us through christ jesus created in christ jesus so when christ died for us on the cross and by faith and repentance we received the gift of salvation that christ purchased here's what happened Christ saved us unto good works, to do good works. Watching the UFC, that ain't good works. Oh, I'm I'm ministering to fight fans. No, you're not. Isn't it funny how we try to take our hobbies and make that our ministry? Lord, I want to minister to crappie fishermen. I want to minister to duck hunters all winter. No, no. Good works... Or what we've been talking about in Romans chapter 12 And Ephesians chapter 4 And 1 Peter chapter 4 Those verses Look at what he says Which God hath before ordained That we should walk in them God saved us with a purpose And the purpose was good works And if you think that God saved you And he took the purpose for you And said well they, they're busy scrapbooking i'm tired of picking on hunting and fishing guys Uh, they're they're busy uh doing needlepoint they're busy down at the ball fields they're busy wherever i just i got this over here i want done no listen to me god will work on us primarily through teaching and preaching but if that doesn't work he'll work on us through misery he'll make us miserable he'll make us like i got with the ufc fights he'll make it where i was just so wiped out i was so miserable i had so many things out of whack i finally had to say i repent i'm gonna put this service back first i'm gonna minister to others first all these things are still good i I still watch some of the fights three days later on youtube and it's free i don't have to pay but i don't watch any of them like i used to and i don't let it interfere i have a god-given predetermined role and this is it i don't know what your calling is it's probably not the pastor here it's but whatever it is it may be to be the door greeter it may be to be the the offering the usher it may be to teach a sunday school class but here's what i want to say about that there's nothing wrong with you taking some time off and having a vacation you're going to get sick and miss some church that's normal that's expected But are you serving the Lord with the same zeal and desire that you did when you worked your own business? When you reported for work? Do you have the same attendance record? Are you as diligent in serving others in the body of Christ as you are your hobbies? Man can't serve two masters. He's going to love one and despise the other. This is why you're saved to serve him that died for you. And you show your service to him by serving others. Church, I'm not up here trying to beat you up, but we need to be reminded of the severity and the cost of our service to Christ. He's not asking this of anyone else. He's asking this of those of us who've been saved by the grace of God. It's our, as Paul said, it's our reasonable service. Amen let's pray and we'll dismiss father i pray tonight that people would hear me with the heart that i have not an expert in these things by any means and i'm for sure guilty even to this day of not serving others the way i should not doing for others what i'm capable of of being distracted by by hobbies and being distracted by other uses of my time but lord i am here as the office of pastor and as the role of teacher and i want to say this is what the bible says but also at the end lord i want to say and you should do it and lord i pray that we all would see from the scriptures not not from me but from the scriptures this is what we need to be doing and lord i pray when someone sees the need to serve others those of us that are serving them would scoot over and allow them to serve alongside us that we would encourage them. And Lord, those that are serving others, I pray that we'd thank them, that we'd tell them we appreciate them. Lord, that we'd express our gratitude for what they're doing and their service to you that we're benefiting from. Father, I pray that we'd do it all for your honor and your glory and the betterment of your church. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.